More than 10 million surgical and non-surgical cosmetic procedures were performed in the United States in 2008. Non-surgical procedures accounted for 83% of that total. Americans spent nearly $11.8 billion on cosmetic procedures in 2008, and many of those procedures were performed by physician assistants. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, your host, and with me today is Christy Lennox, Cosmetic Dermatology Physician Assistant for Sanctuary Medical Aesthetic Center in Boca Raton, Florida, and the founder and director of the Aesthetic Extender Symposium to educate and train physician extenders on cosmetic dermatology procedures. And today we're discussing the contributions physician assistants make to the field of cosmetic dermatology. Hi, Christy. Welcome to ReachMD. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. Christy, let's start by talking about the popularity of cosmetic procedures in the United States. What are the most popular non-surgical procedures? The most popular non-surgical procedures are Botox injections, laser hair removal, hyaluronic acid, chemical peels, and laser skin resurfacing. These are all procedures that physician assistants can perform. In my past PA life, I worked in cosmetic dermatology and plastic surgery, and there weren't that many of us. The field of PAs in derm was growing rapidly at that time, but not in cosmetic dermatology. How has that field changed for PAs over the last 10 years? The field is rapidly changing because physician assistants are becoming more and more recognized within this field and actually more and more accepted within cosmetic dermatology. And you're a leader in the field for the PA profession. I know this is a very difficult field for PAs to thrive in. Tell us what inspired you to push beyond the status quo. I was inspired to go beyond the status quo, honestly, simply out of frustration. After I did my first year with Dr. Kenneth Beer and I started venturing out into the larger dermatology conferences, I realized that I wasn't allowed into the lectures that were being held by the industry leaders simply because I'm not an MD. Frankly, that's all it took for me. At that point, I realized that I need to start an educational venue that was specifically designed for physician assistants and nurse practitioners, and that's why I founded the Aesthetic Extender Symposium. And that's why you're a leader in the field. Let's talk about the PAMD relationship. I once heard a dermatologist say, why would a patient see a physician assistant for a cosmetic procedure when they could see me? Could you answer that for us and tell us how to build a successful PAMD team so that they don't ask that question? Patients want to see physician assistants over MDs sometimes simply because we have more time to sit and chat and kind of get down to what the real problem is. MDs oftentimes see over 40 patients a day where physician assistants see about 20 patients a day. I've noticed with my own patients that they really want a personalized approach, and I'm able to give that to them because I only see 20 patients a day. I Basically, I build a relationship with my patients, which allows me to gain their trust and their respect. And as for building a strong physician assistant MD team, it's really hard to do. I guess the first thing that you need to do is define your role within the practice and that is discuss with your supervisor what types of procedures you're going to do and what types of patients you're going to see. It's also important for your supervisor to bring you into the rooms with him when you're seeing patients. Sometimes what we do is 
Dr. Posner will actually start to see a patient. He'll call me into the room, and we will continue with the treatment together. He'll work on the patient's one half of the body, and I'll actually work on the other side of the patient. And I actually find that when we sit down once a week to chat with each other and bring each other up to date about what's going on, it really aids in building that relationship and that level of trust between us. Let's talk about physician supervision In cosmetic dermatology, it has been and still is a very hot topic. Tell us how physicians supervise PAs in this setting and why is it important? Well, actually, this is kind of a difficult question to answer because physicians supervise their PAs based upon what state you live in. Every state has their own guidelines, and that's the most important thing is that you and your supervisor have to contact the Board of Medicine in that particular state to find out what is mandated. For instance, in New Jersey, physician assistants aren't even allowed to perform laser procedures, whereas in Florida, where I practice, I do the vast majority of all the laser procedures. So I believe that supervision is very important. I highly recommend that all physician assistants are supervised. But, you know, the level of supervision changes from practice to practice based upon the physician assistant's comfort level, and the trust that the MDPA team have with each other. And that's no different than any other medical specialty for PAs. But in cosmetic dermatology, I think it gets a little complicated. And one of the things that has caused an issue is the medical spa. It seems like every plastic surgeon has a medical spa, and some of these spas have very little physician oversight. Do you think these are appropriate settings for a PA? No, actually, I don't think they're appropriate settings. I must admit that I'm not a supporter of freestanding spas. I believe that the procedures that I perform for a living, the laser procedures, the injectable procedures, should be taken seriously enough that they should be required to be performed within a traditional medical facility. For instance, at Sanctuary Medical Aesthetic Center, we have both a surgical side to the practice and a non-surgical side of the practice. That non-surgical side of the practice could be called a spa, except for the fact that it's directly correlated with the surgical side of the practice. This expansion has allowed our practice to grow enormously, but without losing the traditional facility model. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I'm speaking with Christy Lennox, cosmetic dermatology physician assistant for Sanctuary Medical Aesthetic Center, Boca Raton, Florida, and the founder and director of the Aesthetic Extender Symposium. And we're discussing the contributions physician assistants make to the field of cosmetic dermatology. So, Christy, what is a nurse injector, and how are they different from PAs in that role? Well, there's two different types of nurse injectors. There are RNs, or registered nurses, and then there are ARNPs, or nurse practitioners. Their role differs based upon, again, what state they're actually practicing in. There are states where RNs, or registered nurses, are allowed to perform the same types of procedures that PAs can perform. And then there are states, like the state of Florida, where RNs are not allowed to perform the same types of procedures. In general, though, I collaboratively call RNs, PAs, and nurse practitioners aesthetic extenders. And it's just very important that when you are an aesthetic extender, you do recognize that your ability to perform procedures is based upon where you're actually practicing. So let's talk about the 
office setting and PAs and where they fit. If you're interested in cosmetic dermatology and your PA, how do you move into this field? I think the most important thing to do is to start shadowing a dermatologist or a plastic surgeon. I would even start doing that when you're in graduate school. When I was in graduate school, we were allowed to choose an elective, and I chose a dermatology rotation as my elective. I figured, you know what, even if I don't go into dermatology or cosmetic dermatology, every patient has skin, so why not be exposed to, you know, dermatology in general? I was lucky enough where I did my rotation, the doctor performed both cosmetic dermatology and dermatology procedures, and I could just kind of fell in love with the cosmetic end of it. And that's why when I graduated from graduate school, I spent my first year with Dr. Kenneth Beer learning about cosmetic dermatology procedures. After shadowing a dermatologist or a plastic surgeon, I also think that it's very important to read journals that focus on cosmetic dermatology. Basically, you have to get as much exposure as possible, and then when you are allowed to do some hands-on procedure, the best people to practice on would be your friends and family. When performing cosmetic dermatology procedures, you should start slow and go low. You can always add, but it's hard to take away anything that you've actually injected into a patient's face or what level you're doing your laser on. So it's better to be safe and just start slow and go low. So everyone's doing cosmetic procedures, gynecologists, dermatologists, plastic surgeons, ophthalmologists. Could you specialize in one of those fields first and get experience there? You can specialize in one of those fields and then kind of work your way into cosmetic dermatology, but I highly suggest that you go straight into cosmetic dermatology by working with a dermatologist or a plastic surgeon, basically someone in core specialty. For a PA to perform cosmetic procedures, does the supervising physician need to be a dermatologist, or can they be supervised by any physician who has cosmetic procedures in their scope of practice? No, not at all. It doesn't have to be a dermatologist. It can be anybody that wants to have cosmetic procedures performed in their office, but this is not something that I would suggest. If you're working under someone that does not specialize in cosmetic dermatology, you're not going to enable yourself to grow and to build your skill set as quickly as if you could as if you're working with a dermatologist or plastic surgeon. Well, after I left the field of dermatology, I was no longer able to be a part of the Society of Derm PAs because my new supervising physician was not a dermatologist. Has this changed, and what's the status on turf and politics in derm? As far as I know, at the SDPA, they still require you to be supervised by a dermatologist in order to be, be a member. However, I can tell you that I'm actually starting the Aesthetic Extender Journal and the Aesthetic Extender Society. And I'm not going to mandate that you are supervised by a core specialty physician in order to join. I'm doing this because the reason why I have started the Aesthetic Extender Symposium was purely for education, and I want to follow through with that in my other two projects. And that's important because during that time, I also found that there were very few resources available for me to keep up my skills in education, and I, and I had learned plenty and was interested in continuing learning, but the Aesthetic Extender Symposium is the first thing that I've seen that welcomed a PA who doesn't have a supervising physician as a dermatologist. So tell us a little bit more about the AES. The AES is a 
Category 1 CME conference designed specifically for nurse practitioners and physician assistants who want to specialize in cosmetic dermatology. I hold the conference down in Miami Beach. It's a three-day conference, and it covers everything in cosmetic dermatology, including fillers, lasers, cosmeceuticals, legal issues, non-invasive body contouring. Pretty much in the morning, you go through your didactic sessions, and then in the afternoons, you come back for your live injectable and laser workshops. I've been really lucky with the faculty that has come on board. They are all leaders in our industry, and they all believe in aesthetic extenders. Actually, last year, the AAS was so popular that I had to close registration because we were sold out. That just shows you how large lack of education resources are in cosmetic dermatology, and that's why I'm doing my absolute best to fill that void. Oh, that's a very needed void to fill. Thank you. And how does the future look for new graduates interested in this field? The future actually looks great, and I think that that is because plastic surgeons and dermatologists are starting to see the bigger picture, and they're not viewing us so much as competition, but more as colleagues. They're seeing how we can help grow their practice and actually expand their practice. Once they gain a level of trust and comfort with you, you know, and you can get a level of autonomy, all you do is build their practice for them. What other educational opportunities are available for PAs in this field? There is a company called the Aesthetic Advancements Incorporated, and they are a group of physician assistants, nurse practitioners, and RNs who provide hands-on training. They'll actually come to your office and give you the training that you need. There's also ASLMS, which is the Primary Laser Society. I'm actually the co-chair of the Allied Health Division this year, and we put together a one-day conference that goes over, you know, the same gamut of things that AES does. So it goes over the lasers and the injectables and cosmeceuticals. And besides that, I think journals are the next thing. There's a ton of journals out that you can read that provide you with the most up-to-date information on aesthetic procedures. Well, Christy, thank you very much for coming on the show. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Lisa. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And you can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And thanks for listening.